0: Good morning, church family. Um, it's, a, it's a joy this morning once again to come together and to worship the Lord. Even in hearing His word, um, we had a wonderful week of a, a cold front. Um, it's been a while since we had any any cold weather up in. Uh, in rustenberg uh, but it was good to 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 have the cold and i hope it is good for for for, for you um but yeah um it was a it was a blessing as well uh, all seasons are from the lord amen, amen. uh we continue looking at romans chapter i mean sorry uh matthew chapter five we'll come to romans pretty soon don't worry Uh, Matthew chapter 5 we are looking at the Beatitudes, the Christ like attitudes. Now we are in verse 7 but again for the sake of context I'll start reading from verse 1 and I'll end up in verse 7. I read from the ESV this is God's word before us, let us hear him. Seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they For they they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father... Our great God and Savior, we come to you this morning. We come to you with hearts that are ready to hear from your word, with a desire to be taught by you, and we say, Lord, speak, O Lord. Speak to our lives. Sanctify us in your word, for your word is truth. Help us to look to you even as we hear your word and seek grace to obey everything you say to us. In the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You see, when an artist starts to paint a a, a picture, those who are observers or those who are looking at him cannot make it out because the final painting or the masterpiece is still in the mind of the artist. But as, she, as he or, or she makes progress through the painting, it begins to, to take shape and, and we start to see what the artist was seeing in his or her mind. The, the colors and the patterns begin to make sense and we can easily identify what is being painted. As we make progress, even through these Christ-like attitudes, our view starts to get clearer and clearer as Christ continues painting this picture of what characterizes those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We, we start to see this picture clearer, this picture of, of, of who are those who truly are followers of Christ. We, we start to see them, we start to see who they are as he continues step by step explaining their characteristics, explaining this Christ-like attitude that must mark those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, those who are committed um, to following him and as we have already mentioned in the previous sermons the, the first four beatitudes are, are chiefly concerned with our disposition towards god and and the last four uh are, are chiefly concerned with our disposition towards people now now, now the first four um uh, they they speak about the inner principle of the heart and and the mind and the the last four speak about the external expression of those attitudes so as we think uh, clearly about, about, about these uh, Beatitudes, even as we look at um, their, their progress, we see that those who are poor in the spirit uh, mourn about their sin, mourn for their sin before God. And, and when they understand who they are, um, they, they respond to God in meekness. And sensing their great need, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, their great need before God, they hunger and thirst for righteousness which they lack. These people who have truly received the righteousness of God will be marked by mercy towards other people. They, they, they will be marked by an attitude of mercy, a character of mercy, as they relate with other people. John MacArthur explains that the concept of mercy is seen throughout scripture, from the fall to the consummation of history at the return of Christ. Mercy is a desperately needed gift of God's providential and redemptive work on behalf of sinners. And the Lord requires his people to follow his example by extending mercy to others. Again, as we look at this passage, uh, verse 7, it, it breaks into two parts. There, there is a blessing that is announced on the merciful and a promise made to them that are merciful. So I'd like us to look at two things again, what it means to be merciful and the promise to the merciful. What it means to be merciful and the promise to the merciful. Let us look at the first point, what it means to be merciful he says blessed are the merciful blessed are the merciful the the greek word here for mercy carries the idea of being beneficial and charitable mercy implies the ability to enter into another's world with all its misery to feel for that person and to act to alleviate their misery it is an intense understanding of another and their problems it has in mind the misery pain and suffering of others but not but mercy is not only feeling pity for people for, for, for people in, in misery, in, in pain, or in suffering. But it is also being moved to action to relieve those people. One author explains this. He says that mercy is meeting people's needs. It, it is not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. You're not only feeling, but you are showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Mercy is giving food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, companionship to the lonely. It is therefore one of the loveliest and noblest of virtues. You see, we live in a time and age where people are characterized by selfishness and and cruelty. A few weeks ago, a couple of teenagers in America were arrested because they saw a disabled man drowning and instead of helping him, they took videos of him while they were laughing. It has also been announced on the news that there is a class action lawsuit against the banks. I'm happy about this because these banks used to repossess homes from families that could not uh, 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 afford to pay anymore, maybe because um, they lost their jobs or something. And, and they would auction the houses for as little as 100 rand, as, as 50 rand and, and 10 rand. And if you have been paying attention to the news um, this week, You would know of the incident that uh, took place in Suntin, right? Which involved the wife of Uncle Bob beating a young lady with an extension cord, then trying to invoke diplomatic immunity. Uh, Which in layman terms, that means I can beat anyone and get away with it. These are just a few examples of selfishness and, and cruelty, self-centeredness that we see among us, that we see in the world that we live in. Paul describes the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as difficult times where, where, where people will be heartless, unappeasable, slenderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Again, he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, 29 to 31, when he describes the godlessness that characterizes uh, 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 the world today, he says, he says people will be characterized by all manner of unrighteousness. They will be evil, covetousness, malice. They, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless. And he finishes that, 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 that list by saying they are unmerciful. They do not have mercy. They are merciless people. You see, merciless is an indication that one has not experienced the mercy of God. It's an indication that one does not know the God of mercy himself. It's unfortunate that Christians today also display this kind of characters. They display this kind of of attitudes towards people. You see, our calling as Christians is to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in this world, then we must be marked by being merciful. Our lives must reflect the fact that we have experienced the mercy of God, that we know the mercy of God. Our lives must show that. If we are to be the light of the world if we are to be the salt of the earth we are to bring a flavor that is different from the perspective of the world we are to be different from people of the world we are to be marked by mercy as christians as we walk in this world now the question is what are some of the ways that mercy is displayed in the life of christians Let me just offer you three. I'm going to look at, one, an act of compassion, through acts of compassion, through forgiveness, and through sharing the gospel. Let us look at acts of compassion. First of all, through acts of compassion. Mercy is displayed in the lives of Christians through acts of compassion. You see, the essential thought uh, with the word mercy is that it is one who gives attention to to those in misery. One who gives attention to those in misery. You see, although mercy can be spoken of in the same sentence with grace, there, there, there is a distinction in the way they are to be understood. Grace is shown to the undeserving and mercy is compassion to the miserable. So the synonym that can be used for mercy is compassion compassion but it is not to be understood as just simply feeling compassion it is not just limited to a feeling mercy is compassion in action it is compassion in action it is not merely feeling sorry for people but also stretching forth your hand as far as it is in your ability to do so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells of, a, uh, he, he tells of a parable of the good Samaritan in response to a conversation that he was having with a lawyer. The lawyer asks Jesus a question and says to him, Teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, You know the law. What does it say? And the man quotes the summary of the law. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus tells him, "Yes, go and do like the, likewise. Go do that." And the Bible tells us that the man, desiring to justify himself, he asked Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" I don't know where he lived. Probably lived in a in a place where he had no neighbors, and he thought, "If I don't have a neighbor, I don't have to." I, 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 I'm not responsible to be keeping uh, uh what the, the, the word of God is saying here. So he, he's trying to justify himself and say, I don't have a neighbor. So Jesus proceeds to to tell him of 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 this parable of the good good Samaritan, of a man who was on his way. From Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he was on his way to Jericho, he was met by thieves, and they 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 beat him, they stripped him, and left him to die. After a few minutes, a priest walked by, and he saw the man. And instead of helping the man, he passed by on the other side. Again, after a few minutes, a Levite walked by, also saw the man. Instead of helping the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 33 and following of Luke chapter 10, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, talking about the man, came where the man was, and saw him. Listen to these words. He had compassion. He had compassion. He, he went to him and bound, him, uh, bound up his wounds, poured him oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and, and took care of him. And the next day took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Notice this. Notice this about the Samaritan. That he had compassion toward the man. Though he did not know the man. He had compassion towards him. Not only did he have feelings of compassion. But he also uh, also went to help the man. His compassion was compassion in action. It was not just a distance pity. You know that distance pity? Where you see someone in misery, in suffering, and you say, "Ah shame. ah shame, toch. It's too bad, eh? But we see the Samaritan being moved to compassion and acting to help the man. And Jesus ends the parable by by asking the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So in the world, that is selfish and unmerciful as Christians we must be known for our compassion we must be known for our compassion not only that but mercy is also displayed in forgiveness mercy is is displayed in extending forgiveness towards others New Testament scholars have shown that, especially in this, beatitude, in this beatitude, mercy describes one who forgives and pardons another who is in the wrong. Think with me for a second. I, I, I'm sure you will agree with me that there is no joy in holding past hurts and pains from people who have wronged you. There is no joy. No one can ever say, I'm happy that I'm holding a grudge against someone. But we do, right? We hold those grudges. We we keep replaying those pains in our minds. We keep reminding ourselves of the way we were hurt, the way we were disappointed. We, We keep bringing them back to mind. But it never gives us joy, does it? It never brings happiness. We can never say blessed are those who hold a grudge, right? If you, have, if you have ever been wronged, and you, if you are breathing here, I, I, I can uh, predict that you have been wronged before. You know how hard it is to forgive. Right? It is hard to forgive. One can even say it is almost impossible in other cases to forgive. But in Christ, we are able to forgive because we have been forgiven. God did not count our sin against us, but he forgave us in Christ. God forgave the worst and the darkest sins in our lives so that we may be able to forgive, to forgive those who wrong us, those who sin against us. To be unforgiving is to lack understanding of the gospel. It's to lack understanding of the gospel. In fact, listen carefully here. In fact, it, it is to think that you are more holy than God. It is to think that when people sin against you, you are too holy. That unlike God who forgives sin, that you cannot forgive because your holiness is, it far surpasses the holiness of God. You see that? Paul appeals to the, the forgiveness of the Lord when he, he exhorts the, the believers to, 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 to forgive in, in, when he writes to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, he writes, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you you also must forgive do you see where the encouragement to forgive comes from it doesn't come from me but it comes from what the fact that the Lord has forgiven me Paul repeats the same idea He says the similar thing to to the church in uh, uh, Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The fact that God in Christ forgave us means that we are able to do it, to forgive. Think about how old you are. Right. Let's say you are in your forties. Let's say you 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 sin about uh, uh, three times a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Every time, God forgives you. Some are trying to. They are thinking about that instance where Peter asked Jesus, "How many times must I forgive my 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 brother? And he, he, do I forgive him seven times?" Then Jesus says, "No, seven, seven times, seventy t- times, right? Seven times seventy-seven or something like that." And people have calculators and saying, "Okay, okay, now you are getting to 120." Yeah calculating it it doesn't work like that we forgive based on the fact that we are forgiven ourselves I know it can be hard to forgive but let us look at what Christ has done to forgive us and extend the same forgiveness so so because we have been shown mercy by God in forgiving us we must extend forgiveness To those who have wronged us. Not only that, but mercy is also displayed in making disciples, and making disciples, sharing the gospel. In my opinion, I think this is the greatest act of mercy Christians can do the world. Mercy is telling people about Jesus Christ who saves. It it is not only focused on the externals, but it it is also being concerned about the eternal, uh, eternal states of people. We, we, we talk about mercy ministries and we know that mercy ministries uh, deals mostly with food, right? With, with giving food to, to the poor, with giving clothes to the poor. But the greatest act of, of mercy ministry is sharing the gospel, making disciples, caring about people's eternal states. It is seeing the greatest need. Of humanity as the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God, and doing uh, the work of an ambassador, which you say to the world, like Paul, be reconciled to God. You see, it is being merciless to leave people in their sin without telling them about Christ. Actually, it is saying to them, "I I want you to continue. Living a life that is godless. A life without Christ. I'm fine with the fact that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. That you are following the course of the world. You, you are following the prince of the power of the air. The, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience. I am comfortable with the idea that the wrath of God is abiding on you. And that when you die, you will plunge into hell. I am comfortable with that idea. That is what we are communicating when we withhold the gospel from people. Think about it this way. If you saw someone fall into a deep swimming pool and you knew that uh, they can't swim and you can, you knew that if you don't jump in and rescue them that person is going to die I know that you will act as fast as possible to to rescue that individual from da- from drowning right are you that merciless she will rescue that person the fact that th- th- this is the fact that drowning in a pool pales in comparison to plunging in hell. They they cannot be compared. Therefore, sharing the gospel is the greatest rescue plan for the world that is heading to hell. The Christians of this generation are responsible for the sinners of this generation. Get that in your heart, that as a Christian in this generation, you are responsible for the sinners of this generation. God has called us on a rescue mission. And we must fulfill that mission. Let me read to you uh, the mission of Central Baptist Church. It says this. The mission of this church is to obey the word of God and go into the world and make disciples for christ of all nations by declaring the gospel in the power of the spirit gathering these disciples with the rest of the church that together we may worship the lord and obey his commands to the glory of god isn't that beautiful that's beautiful right but it would be terrible if we leave it on paper if it was just a document that we have, fleshing it around and saying this is our mission, but, but we are not fulfilling it. My heart and desire is that these words will not just be a document we have, but that as the church we will live it out literally. Each and every one of us is a missionary sent out by God in whatever capacity we are in to minister the mercy of God to the helpless to minister the mercy of God to the, to the confused, miserable, dark, and needy world that we are in. God has saved us and sent us to the world to be his ambassadors. We are sent to point a hungry world to the bread of life. We are sent to point a thirsty world to the the streams of living waters. There is a reason you live where you live. There is a reason you work where you work. There, There is a reason you go to school where you go to school. There's a reason you encounter the people you encounter it is not a matter of chance it is not an accident that these things are happening but god has has orchestrated it all as a kingdom strategy god in his sovereignty in his providence has orchestrated these events to happen for his kingdom if we are not seeing this we are blind Listen to the, to, 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 to the words of Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. This is what he says. He said, and, and God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might their way toward him and find him you see what God has done God has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place no one is where they live by mistake or by accident We are there because God has placed us there to be uh, ministers of his mercy by sharing the gospel, by making disciples. It is not an accident. It is not a matter of chance. God has placed us where he placed us, as kingdom missionaries. We should not just take the word missionary and say it is those who go abroad. It is those who go to, to, to unreached worlds. Every Christian is a missionary because the great commission is, is, is given to every single Christian. When Jesus, said, when Jesus Christ said go, he did not say it to a particular people. He said it to each and every single Christian. Go and make disciples. Are you making disciples? I, get, I guess we should ask, ask it this way. Are you merciful? Are you merciful? A.W. Tozer says this. He says The presence of an honest Christian living an upright life in the midst of the Gentiles is God's most powerful instrument to condition men for the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ when you're living a godly, holy life, there are some who are going to ask you, how do you do this? And then you share the gospel. Amen. So, so, so mercy is displayed in the lives of Christians in acts of compassion, in offering forgiveness to those who wrong us, and in making disciples. It says, blessed are those who are merciful. And to these merciful, Jesus makes a promise to them. Which leads us to our second point, the promise to the merciful. The promise to the merciful. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When Jesus says, for they shall receive mercy, he is not advocating salvation by works. In that you obtain mercy for salvation by showing mercy. And let us remember that his primary audience is the disciples. In other words, it is those who have already received mercy by salvation through Jesus Christ. They they are not working for their salvation. But as a result of their salvation, they produce mercy good works and one of those good works is showing mercy to the world. John MacArthur explains that in this beatitude, Jesus is not speaking of our mercy, is not speaking of our mercy gaining us salvation. We, we, we do not end salvation by being merciful. We must be saved by God's mercy before we can truly be merciful. We cannot work our way into heaven, even by a lifetime of merciful deeds, any more than by good works of any sort. God does not give us, God does not give mercy for merit. He gives mercy in grace because it is needed, not because it is earned. We do not earn it. This text before us presents us with a serious implication. It, it, There's a very, very serious implication on this text. Namely, if we have no mercy and compassion for those who are in misery and distress, then we are not Christians. We are not Christians. Going back to the parable of the the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, one can, can conclude that although the first two men were a priest and a Levite, they were far from God. They were far from God. Even though they were a priest and a Levite, they could teach about love and mercy skillfully. They they could wax eloquent about the summary of the law, which says you must love God with all uh, uh, your being. With all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. They, they could teach that. They could work through a series teaching through the, 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 that summary of the law skillfully, eloquently, beautifully. But they failed when it came to applying it practically in their lives. That is why Jesus Christ calls them hypocrites. But the Samaritan displayed the principle of loving God and neighbor practically in his life. Cantuce explains this. He says if we remain impassive or, or callous to human need and, and refuse to do anything about it, we need to take a good look at ourselves and see if we are really believers. John says it best in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? how can the love of God be in that person who has material positions and sees the brother in need and carries on with no pity, no mercy and they say, I love God. This is a true test that evangelicals don't like. Christians don't like this test anymore. Today I suspect that there are some who would reject this test outright. If so, they are in great peril of of soul. True belief is never to be divorced from attitude and action. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We pray that you will convict our hearts, O Lord, with your word. Help us, O God, to look at what you've done for us on the cross. The mercy you have displayed. For us, bountifully, mercy that cannot be measured, mercy that is renewed every morning. Lord, may we be inspired by this, encouraged by your mercy for us to extend mercy to the world, showing acts of compassion, Extended forgiveness and making disciples we pray father that you will work in our hearts and give us the grace oh god to walk as your word demands may your name be glorified in the name of jesus christ we pray amen